If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to a special festive edition of the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. Today we've got something a bit different for our podcast, our festive Christmas quiz, which we do every year. And so in the studio with me today in our Bristol office, I've got various members of the BBC History Magazine team. We've got five rounds, each of which will have five questions. We'll ask all the questions and then go through and tell you the answers round by round. So if you're sat down, now is the time to get out your pens and papers. For our first round, which is about Christmas food, we've got our deputy digital editor, Eleanor Evans above. Please take it away. Question one. Christmas pudding is usually mixed on stir-up Sunday, the last Sunday before Advent, but how far in advance do Greenlanders prepare their traditional Christmas dish of kiviak? Is it A, three hours, B, three weeks, or C, three months? Question two. How many dishes are there in the traditional Ukrainian Christmas dinner? Is it A, 12, B, eight, or C, three? Question three. Which of these is a traditional South African Christmas food? A. Emperor moth caterpillars B. Black mamba snakes or C. Gnu sausage Question 4. What colour were the original Christmas candy canes? A. All pink B. All white or C. Red and white Question 5. In 15th century Germany, you could be arrested for making what at any time other than Christmas or Easter? Is it A. Christmas pudding, B, tinsel, or C, gingerbread? And now, time for the answers. And the answer to question one, how far in advance do Greenlanders prepare their traditional Christmas dish of kiviak? The answer was C, three months. Winning the award for longest preparation time, Greenland's traditional Christmas dish, kiviak, takes a full three months to prepare. It begins with hollowing out a seal skin and stuffing it with 500 orcs, a seabird, feathers and all, to ferment. When the holidays arrive, it's best served straight from the seal. (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) Question number two. How many dishes are there in the traditional Ukrainian Christmas dinner? The answer was A, 12. There are 12 dishes in the traditional Ukrainian Christmas dinner, served as supper on Christmas Eve, each dish being dedicated to one of Christ's apostles. Question number three. Which of these is a traditional South African food? The answer was A, emperor moth caterpillars. South Africa is home to some of the world's most unusual holiday food fare. Every December, locals feast on a seasonal delicacy, the deep-fried caterpillars of emperor moths. Question number four, what colour were the original Christmas candy canes? The answer was B, all white. The candy cane's origins can be traced back to Europe circa 1670, but they didn't appear in the US until the 1800s. They were generally all white until the 1900s when they took on a shape representing Jesus' hook for shepherding his lambs and colours representing purity, white, and Christ's sacrifice, red. And question number five. In 15th century Germany, you could be arrested for making what at any time other than Christmas? The answer was C, gingerbread. In 15th century Germany, 
gingerbread making was such a serious undertaking that you had to be a member of a gingerbread guild to make it. The only exemptions were for personal use at Christmas and Easter. Now it's time to move on to round two, which is all about Christmas music. So to ask the questions this round, um, we've got BBC World History's editor, Matt Elfton. Question one. Why don't the NYPD choir sing Galway Bay at Christmas? Is it A, because it's an Easter song, B, because it was banned in 1975, or C, because the NYPD don't have a choir? Question two. Why did the BBC ban Bing Crosby's hit I'll Be Home for Christmas? Is it A, because there was a war on, B, because it was too sentimental, or C, because it wasn't in the public interest? Question three. What did astronaut Thomas P. Stafford claim to have seen from space on 16th of December 1965? Was it A, Christmas lights, B, the Aurora Borealis, or C, Santa Claus? Question four. Despite the song lyric, why are you unlikely to find a partridge in a pear tree? Is it A, because they're allergic to pears, B, because they're ground dwellers, or C, because pear trees won't grow in climates that partridges prefer? Question five. On December 8th, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, families in Catalonia bring out the Tio de Nadal, a hollow log with legs made of sticks, a happy face and a red hat. The children are asked to feed the log with nuts, dried fruit and water and cover it with a blanket to keep it warm every night until Christmas Eve. What is the colloquial name for the log? Is it A, the Yule log, B, the Poo log or C, the Captain's log? And now it's time for the answers for round two. So question one was, why don't the NYPD choir sing Galway Bay at Christmas? The answer is C, because the NYPD don't have a choir. Despite the line in the Pogues' fairy tale of New York, the NYPD doesn't have a choir. When making their video, the Pogues invited the NYPD Pipe and Drums Band to appear in the music video instead. Unfortunately, the band didn't know the words to Galway Bay, so they sang the Mickey Mouse Club theme instead. The sound was removed and the footage slowed down, so you can't tell. Question two. Why did the BBC ban Bing Crosby's hit I'll Be Home for Christmas? If you said any of the answers, you've got it right. The song was banned during World War II, as many would, of course, not be home for Christmas. A 1942 directive on their censoring policy read, We have recently adopted a policy of excluding sickly sentimentality, which, particularly when sung by certain vocalists, can become nauseating and not at all in keeping with what we feel to be the need of the public in this country. Question three, what did astronaut Thomas P. Stafford claim to have seen from space? It was C, Santa Claus. On December the 16th, 1965, US astronauts Walter M. Wally Schirrer Jr. and Thomas P. Stafford were preparing re-entry into Earth's atmosphere in Gemini 6. As they manoeuvred, Stafford contacted Mission Control about a UFO. He said, We have an object. Looks like a satellite going from north to south, probably in polar orbit. Looks like he might be going to re-enter soon. You just might let me pick up that thing. I see a command module and eight smaller modules in front. The pilot of the command module is wearing a red suit. Before Mission Control could respond, Shira began playing jingle bells on a harmonica he had smuggled in his spacesuit. He was accompanied by Stafford playing smuggled sleigh bells. <laughs> <laughs> Question four, despite the song lyric, why are you unlikely to find a partridge in a pear tree? The answer was B, they're ground dwellers. Because partridges are ground dwellers and ground nesters, they don't often climb up any tree. And question five... On December the 8th, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, families in Catalonia bring out a log. The colloquial name for the log was B, the Poo Log. 
When Christmas Eve arrives, the children gather round the log and beat it with sticks while singing a traditional song. The song goes... Poo log, poo nuggets, hazelnuts and matto cheese. If you don't poo well, I'll hit you with a stick. Poo log! After that, the blanket is removed to reveal a pile of sweets and gifts that the log has apparently pooped out. When the gifts have all been collected, the family burns the log to keep warm. <laughs> and so now it's time for round three, which is all about animals and called the ox and the ass. So to ask the questions for this round, we've got our digital editorial assistant, Rachel Christmas Dinning. Question one. Which of these animals used to be hunted on the 26th of December? Is it A, wrens, B, stags, or C, bears? Question two. On Christmas morning, 1993, Puck said, It's Christmas. That's what's happening. That's what it's all about. I love Pucky. I love everyone. Who was Puck and what is so unusual about that? Is the answer A, Puck was a computer? B, Puck was a budgie, or C, Puck was a fish. Question three. What Christmas lucky charm did Polish people traditionally keep in their wallets? Is it A, fish scales, B, rabbit's feet, or C, deer's ears? Question four. What used to be the centrepiece of a traditional Swiss Christmas dinner? Is it A, roast cat, B, roast dog, or C, roast boar? Question five. Which of these can't the real Rudolph have had? A, a shiny nose, B, antlers, or C, a sleigh? And now it's time for the answers to round three. Question one asked which animal used to be hunted on the 26th of December, and the answer was A, wrens. In many countries, the 26th of December is known as Wren Day. The tradition consists of hunting a fake wren and putting it on top of a decorated pole. Then, the crowds of mummers, or straw boys, celebrate the wren by dressing up in masks, straw suits and colourful motley clothing. They form music bands and parade through towns and villages. In the early 20th century and before, real wrens were hunted by wren boys on St Stephen's Day. The captured wren was tied to the wren boy leader's staff or put in a net on a pitchfork. Question two asked who was Puck and what was so unusual about what they said on Christmas Day, 1993. The answer was B, Puck was a budgie. Puck was the Guinness World Record holder for the bird with the largest vocabulary. He knew 1,728 words and was able to create his own phrases. Question three asked what Christmas lucky charm did Polish people traditionally keep in their wallets? And the answer was A, fish scales. Carp is a popular Christmas dish in Poland and it's considered good luck to take the scales from the fish and put them in your wallet until the next Christmas. Question four asked what used to be the centrepiece of a traditional Swiss Christmas dinner and the answer was A, roast cat. Roast cat in white wine and garlic sauce was the traditional Christmas dinner around Bern and in the Jura and Lucerne. In 2014, Animal rights groups petitioned the Swiss government to ban the eating of pets. Question five asked which of these can't the real Rudolph have had? And the answer was A, a shiny nose. Reindeer are the only deer species which have hairy noses rather than shiny and moist. 
Interestingly, only female reindeer still have antlers at Christmas time, so perhaps Rudolph was a lady. So now it's time for our fourth round of questions, a royal celebration. To ask the questions this round, we have section editor at BBC History magazine, John Borbalcombe. So question one, why was James VI and I so keen to get hold of the Bishop of Ely's Christmas Day sermon? Is it A, he wanted to read the prophecies in it? Is it B, he wanted to sleep with it? Or is it C, he wanted to see if he was mentioned in it? Question two. Former King's messenger John Canning once arrived in Ulaanbaatar in Mongolia at Christmas with 20 huge travel bags. The only thing he actually had to deliver was a tiny pouch containing his play slip. So what was the rest for? Is it A, Christmas presents for local children? Is it B, Christmas dinner? Or is it C, decorations for the British Embassy? Question three. Which member of the royal family introduced Christmas trees to Britain? Was it A, Henry VIII, B, Queen Charlotte, or C, Prince Albert? Question four. How many people listened to the Queen's speech in 1969? Is it A, 5 million, B, none, or C, 21 million? Question five. Who was the Trafalgar Square Christmas tree originally a gift from? Is it A, the Queen, B, Prime Minister Clement Attlee, or C, King Hawken of Norway. So now it's time for the answers to round four. So question one was, why was James I so keen to get hold of the Bishop of Ely's Christmas Day sermon? The answer was actually B, he wanted to sleep with it. The sermons of Lancelot Andrews, then Bishop of Ely, were so popular with James I that he ordered the Christmas Day sermon of 1609 to be delivered to him immediately so that he might sleep with it under his pillow. Question two, which was... Um, why the former King's messenger John Canning arrived with 20 huge travel bags in Ulaanbaatar? Well, the answer was B, Christmas dinner. The other bags contained Christmas food and drink to sustain him and his party as they travelled back across the Gobi Desert. So question three, which was which member of the royal family introduced Christmas trees to Britain? The answer was B, Queen Charlotte. The first known Christmas tree in Britain was erected at Queen's Lodge, Windsor, by Queen Charlotte, the German-born wife of George III, for a party for the children of the leading families in Windsor at the turn of the 19th century. Queen Adelaide always had one, and the young Princess Victoria recorded her delight at the Christmas tree at Kensington Palace in 1832. What Albert did was encourage its adoption by the general populace, but it had been popular amongst royals for decades before. So the answer to question four, which was how many people listened to the Queen's speech in 1969, was B. None. This is the only time in the Queen's reign that there hasn't been a Queen's speech. This was because a documentary had been made over the summer about the royals, so the palace thought that was probably enough time taken out of the schedule. As a result, she just issued a written message instead. So question five, which was who was the Trafalgar Square Christmas tree originally a gift from? The answer was actually C, King Hawken of Norway. The annual tradition of bringing a Christmas tree from Norway to London began in 1947. It was a thank you gift from King Hawken, who had fled to London when his country was invaded by the Nazis. He then lived there in exile, along with the Norwegian government. Each year, the people of Norway still send a tree as a sign of their gratitude for Britain's support during the war. So now it's time for our fifth and final round on Christmas traditions. To ask the questions this round, making her first appearance on the History Extra podcast, we've got our group art editor, Suzanne Frankincense. Question one. Christopher Columbus's son, Hernando Colon bought himself 700 of these for Christmas in 1521. Is it A, turkeys, B, potatoes, or C, books? Question two. 
1903 essay, The Travesty of Christmas, supported what? Is it A, early shopping for Christmas, B, last-minute shopping for Christmas, or C, no shopping for Christmas? Question 3. For which festival is it most likely to snow? Is it A, Christmas, B, Easter, or C, Candlemas? Question 4. What traditionally did you have to do in Greek culture after kissing someone under the mistletoe? Is it A, slap them, B, marry them, or C, kiss them again? Question 5. Which of these is a St. Lubbock's Day? Is it A, Boxing Day, B, Christmas Day, or C, Christmas Eve? And now it's time for the answers to our final round, round five. So question one, Christopher Columbus's son, Hernando Colon, bought himself 700 of what for Christmas 1521? It was C, books. Hernando Colon wanted to be a pantomath, someone who knows everything, so decided to read every book on earth. He bought 700 books in Nuremberg, before moving on to Mainz, where he bought a thousand more in the course of a month. It may have actually been possible to read every printed book when he was a boy, but by the time he was an adult, it was definitely impossible. Question two, what did the 1903 essay The Travesty of Christmas support? And the answer is A, early shopping for Christmas. Whilst we often complain that Christmas comes earlier every year, the 1903 essay The Travesty of Christmas argued that leaving the Christmas rush until December was unfair for shop clerks, messengers and delivery boys, so everyone should shop early. Question 3. For which festival is it most likely to snow? The answer is B. Easter. According to the Met Office, it is more likely to snow at Easter than at Christmas. Between 1981 and 2010, December averaged 3.9 days of snow, but March had 4.2. Statistics show the earlier Easter falls, the higher the chance of snow. Easter's, where falling sleet or snow has been recorded at a large number of weather stations, include most recently 2008 and 2013. More than 12 inches of snow was recorded on Easter Day 2010 in Invernessshire. London has had only three official white Christmases since 1975, whereas Edinburgh has had eight. Question four. What traditionally did you have to do in Greece after kissing someone under the mistletoe? The answer is B. Marry them. A kiss under the mistletoe was considered a promise of marriage in Greek culture. Question 5. Which of these is a St. Lubbock's Day? The answer is A. Boxing Day. In the mid-19th century, the UK only had four bank holidays. In 1871, the Bank Holidays Act was passed, designating another four additional days off. Easter Monday, Whit Monday, August Bank Holiday and Boxing Day. In honour of the man who had campaigned for them, Sir John Lubbock, the new days were referred to as St. Lubbock's Days. 
So that's all for today. We hope you enjoyed the quiz. And if you did, please do get in touch with us on social media to let us know how you got on. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook and at historyextra.com. Thanks for listening. The questions for today's quiz were written by historian and QI writer Justin Pollard. Today's podcast was produced by Jack Snowman and Ben Yulog. And there's one final message from the rest of us here at BBC History magazine, which is... Happy Christmas! A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.